0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Employment Matters podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the world. I'm your host, Kato Arts, partner at Lydian in Belgium. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. On today's episode, we'll be discussing non-compete clauses for employees in France. Joining us on the program is Philippe Durand, partner at Auguste de Bouzy and fellow podcast host on Employment Matters. Philippe, welcome. We are delighted to have you on our program. Thank you for joining us. How are you today?
1: I'm doing fine, Kato, and I'm very happy to be, uh, <laughs> to be your guest as a change rather than the other way around.
0: <laughs> Likewise, I think it's a very special occasion that we can record a podcast together. So let's dive right into the topic. With regards to non-compete, where are the non-compete regulations coming from in France? Is that issued by statute or is it derived from case law?
1: Well, that's uh, that's a good point because actually there's no statute. It's mainly case law. I should even not say mainly. It's only case law. Basically. French court, and we'll probably talk about it later, but French court would look at non-compete cases on a case by case basis. Throughout their decisions, they would define general principles that you had to apply. And that's about it. The other thing I would stress, though, is that it's always critical to look at a collective bargain agreement that would apply to almost any French employing entity on an industry basis, because very often, maybe six cases out of 10, those collective bargaining agreements would refer to non-compete and they would set certain criteria in terms of duration, compensation. And we might talk about that later on.
0: Okay, interesting. That's very different than is the case for Belgium, because for us, it's strictly regulated by law. Um, ah. So that's that's very different. Although we are Often quite similar. This is something that is definitely not similar then. So what would be the legal rules or concepts that French judges would rely on to rule on non-compete agreements?
1: Well, Cato, as I was just saying, they would uh, look at general principles. And those principles would be freedom for employees to work on one side and businesses' rights to do business in France. Bottom line is really As you know, we have a very employee-friendly set of employment regulations in France. But the bottom line being that really any restrictive covenant, any non compete undertaking should not stop an employee from finding another job. So you cannot put a doctor, you cannot put a software engineer in a situation such where Because of the restrictive covenant, he would not be able to find any other job at all for a certain period of time. That's the best way to wrap up the legal principles that French judges have been looking at throughout all those years.
0: That definitely makes sense. And I guess that gives an interesting discussion sometimes in practical cases. I guess these rules then have led the French judges to define certain conditions, at least, for non-compete clauses to be valid and enforceable. What would you say are the main conditions for non-competes to be valid and binding in France?
1: Actually, I would say, to answer your question, that there would be four main conditions. The one condition is that the employer has to show that the restrictive covenant is necessary to protect the company's legitimate interests. And at the same time, the restrictive covenant should also take into account the employee's position. You don't have, we can talk about that later on if you want, but you cannot have a restrictive covenant for any type of position for any employee. The second condition would be the geographical scope. The restrictive covenant cannot apply all the time to all the world. The third condition is duration. Of course, the clause must be limited. In time, and we can talk about this a bit further. And finally, for about almost 30 years now, the French Supreme Court decided, which was not the case before, that the clause must be compensated. I mean, our listeners in common law jurisdiction would talk about consideration. Before 1996, no compensation was required. Now, compensation is required, feeling which the clause would not be the undertaking, would not be enforceable.
0: Okay, and all of what you're saying now, Philip, definitely rings a bell, because those are the four main conditions, I would say, under Belgian law as well for non-competes to be valid. So let's go over these uh, four conditions, if we can, Philip, um, and let us start with the reference to the employee's job and the company's legitimate interest that you mentioned.
1: Glad to see that Belgium and France are eventually meeting, by the way, on, on some common things, which, as you said before, is no surprise. Well, for example, I would say to your point that ideally, a restrictive covenant would apply to a salesperson. Well, for someone like an assistant, for example, who would have very little contact with the outside world or clients or suppliers, a restrictive covenant would usually not apply. In terms of legitimate interest for the company, you have to look at the market, the business. Is it very competitive? Does it make sense for the company's interest, for the company's legitimate interest to have such a clause? And. What I would say, and that's the reason why drafting these clauses on is not that easy. I mean, we have some tips, of course, that I'm sharing with you today, but you really have at the end of the day, like the judge, to strike a balance and make sure that you find a proper equilibrium between the company's interest and the employee's interest.
0: Okay, interesting. And then the compensation, I'm sure that's what many employers ask you about. What do we have to pay to make an uncompete valid?
1: Well, before I forget, Cato, that's one specific point. For example, where you would have to look at the collective bargaining agreement, because some CBAs would provide for a minimum compensation, like the steel industry would provide sixty percent of the employees' prior remuneration. So you have to think about the CBA all the time, but particularly on compensation. And of course, you would wonder, as you just said. What is a proper compensation? But the trouble is that French courts, since the time when they decided it was necessary, never gave any precise tip. They just say in French that the amount of the compensation should not be derisory, non derisoire, as we say in French. I would generally tell clients that that compensation should be around 40% of the employee's prior remuneration. And since it is deemed to be a salary from a tax point of view, this would also generate... 10% 10% of paid holidays. So for that matter, you would have to think about maybe saying 40%, including entitlement to paid holidays. But generally speaking, and subject to CBA's provisions that will be more generous, I would say 40% is a pretty good uh, standard. But okay. it can be it can be negotiated. And sometimes you would also have to be more generous for the clause to be more In a better equilibrium, as I said before, because this employee would have a very high level position dealing with many countries and because the restrictive covenant would be pretty biting for him in terms of uh, prohibiting from finding another job for a certain period of time.
0: That's interesting. And it definitely sounds like a lawyer's paradise because you can argue in favor um, of the employee to, to have a bit higher compensation. In Belgium, it's determined by law. So it's 50% of the employee's salary oh. and there's no discussion there. Of course, you can always grant more as an employer, but otherwise, that's what the law says. What about the limitation in geographical scope? Can it be a worldwide application or it' just France or where the employee has worked before?
1: Well, that's another tricky point. If I would take the two examples you were just sharing, I would say that generally speaking, France would be okay, except if you have a salesperson dealing only with one city in a very small geographical scope in France. But France in general would be fine. The whole world is pretty difficult to accept because that's really big, unless you would be talking about an executive who would have really broad duties all around the world with a significant remuneration that would fit that. But the whole world is certainly not something you would find very often. I would find it pretty dangerous. So in between, you would normally talk about maybe two or three countries, France, UK, Belgium, and Germany, and that would be about it. As long as, of course, it makes sense with the company's business and presence in those countries. But you have to be pretty careful and delicate with that, because the more greedy you will be, as you understand by now, the more risky it is that your clause would end up in court and being held, ruled null and void by a French judge.
0: And then the clause in its entirety will be null and void, right? Or would it just be the part that the judge deems to be excessive?
1: That's a very good point, because that's um, a kind of Anglo-Saxon practice to say specifically in the clause, if this clause is partially deemed to be null and void, only the portion to be null and void will be uh, taken out and the rest will remain. It's for the judge to decide. What? Well, not I'm talking about France now. It's for the judge to decide. In other words, a judge may think that one change could be sufficient and the rest of the clause will remain or the other way around. The whole clause would disappear. We also have to bear in mind that, As I said before, the clause is a global equilibrium. So if you take out something, it could be argued that you're not, the whole thing is going to be disturbed and you don't want to keep the clause in that same shape. But again, at the end of the day, it's for the French court to decide whether the whole restrictive covenant will be kept or not.
0: Okay, interesting. When it comes to the geographical scope, there's one thing I could mention for Belgium. We have a standard non-compete clause that is basically limited to the Belgian territory. And then you have a derogatory non-compete clause where for people with an international scope of activities, you could go broader and beyond that. And there are specific case laws saying that if you go beyond the territory of Belgium, you need to list the countries. By name, because there have been clauses before where they just put in the European Union, which then the courts ruled. That's not specific enough because we all know the Brexit story. It could change over time. So you really specifically need to list all of the countries, but it could be 27 countries. So there's no limitation there. But I thought it was interesting to mention that for Belgium because that also seemed something peculiar.
1: Uh, Actually, this is very interesting, although we don't have the same rule. But as, as I said before, it makes sense to make a difference between France or your home country, Belgium, and the rest of the world. And the second comment I would like to make on what you just said, which works also in France, you have to be very specific. And as you said, the EU could change tomorrow with Brexit or Ukraine joining in 2030 or whatever, you have to be specific. And one other comment I would like to add is that sometimes, I don't know if you can do that in Belgium, but You could also add lists of competitors the person could not go to. But you would apply, again, the same principles. Because if you're talking about the oil industry, someone working in the oil industry, and if you would list all the companies in the world, or major ones working in the oil industry, that could be a trick that the employee could criticize in court and say, for two years or six months or a year, you have actually prohibited me from working anywhere. So the clause cannot be held valid and binding and enforceable.
0: That's an interesting point. I would say under Belgian law, yes, you could add the list of competitors. And as long as the clause in general meets the conditions determined by law, it will be valid and enforceable. So this equilibrium that you mentioned that is taking place in France would not play as much Mm -hmm. of a role in Belgium because you have these conditions determined by law. And that's it. If the clause meets those conditions, then it's valid and enforceable. So what about the limitation in time? I'm curious. How long can an employee be restricted from working for a competitor in France?
1: Well, I was referring to that two seconds ago. As a rule of thumb, I would say, Cato, that two years is really a maximum. I would also say that six months, to me, doesn't make much sense at all. So what I would usually favor is something around a year or 18 months. Two years to me seems a bit long because, uh, I mean, if the employee really have a nuisance capacity in terms of sales, business, confidentiality, this sort of stuff, I think that after 12, 18 months, uh, that, should, that should be it. And I would stress again, that's a very specific point where the CBA provisions, the collective bargain agreements provisions would have to be checked.
0: Okay, that's a very good recommendation, I would say. So, finally, Philippe, some tips or takeaways that you could give our audience today about these non-compete undertakings. What should they bear in mind?
1: Well, you're giving me the occasion, in fact, to maybe wrap up what I said before and add a few more comments. Well, first of all, the restrictive covenant should be inserted in the employment contract. And I would recommend that this be done at the outset in the contract itself at the very beginning, because afterwards, then, you need the employee's consent, the employee could say, but I don't want that. I mean, there's no reason why he would accept to sign an addendum to change his existing working conditions with a restrictive covenant that did not exist at the outset. So provide it in the employment contract at the very beginning. Number two, but that's something I said before, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Make sure it makes sense with all the rules, equilibrium, proportionality, et cetera, I was uh, talking about. The third item that I didn't talk about, which is a waiver. If you are the employer, and I know Cato, you mostly represent companies like I do, if you want to waive the clause because in 2, 3, 10, 20 years from now, you realize this guy is leaving, but he's not a nuisance, finally. I want to waive because I don't want to pay. That waiver must be provided in the employment contract, in the restrictive covenant itself. Otherwise, you cannot waive. And of course, make sure that you waive In proper time, usually it's pretty fast, like 15 days after termination. Number four, I would still favor restrictive covenants in general, by the way, but you have to monitor them, specifically in case of resignation. Because if you have someone handing you his or her resignation, and then you don't pay attention to his contract, you forget to waive the restrictive covenant, bingo, that's it, you owe money. And I've seen employees doing that trick a few years ago with a client, so monitoring the restrictive covenants is, of course, a key point. And finally, although I said that several times, but I'm going to say it again, check the CBA to make sure all this is compliant with the collective bargain agreement that the French employing entity would be applying in France.
0: These are very useful tips, and I would say they can almost be copy-paste to Belgium. <laughs> so... Um, well, it's not for today to have a, a podcast on Belgium competes, but these tips I would definitely also give in Belgium. So thank you so much for that, Philippe. This is all the time that we have today. It's been a very interesting discussion, I must say. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Well, it was also my pleasure, Cato, and hopefully maybe we'll find another topic to do it the other way around and uh, so that I can ask you questions about Belgian employment law.
0: I would love that. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you would like to connect with Philippe, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Kato Arts.
1: Thanks for listening.